Welcome to the new Baker McKenzie podcast series, Solutions for a Connected World. Today, we're looking at collaborating with competition and why it is critical for net zero success. I'm joined today by three industry experts to help tackle this topic. They are Luis Gomez, partner in the Competition, Trade and Foreign Investment Department at Baker McKenzie, Luke Disney, Senior Vice President of Sustainability and Climate, Lead Paris Alignment at Rabobank, and Cristiana Figueres, former Executive Secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, now founding partner of Global Optimism and co-host of the Outrage and Optimism podcast. On the 26th of October, the World Meteorological Organization released its annual greenhouse gas bulletin. It showed that the three main greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous oxide, all reached record highs in 2021. It concluded that the world was heading in the wrong direction when it came to climate change. This is just one example that proves what we know to be clear. Net zero agendas, climate change initiatives and sustainability goals, while all set out with the greatest intentions, need concrete actions. The challenge is a big one perhaps the biggest we'll ever face. And the only way we're going to get there is by working together, even with your competition. Christiana, why do we need to collaborate and why so with our competition? I don't think of the collaboration on climate change or in fact any global issue as competitive collaboration or even collaboration among competitors. I think about it as radical collaboration. And radical in the sense that we have to radically change the way that we think about competition and collaboration. Let me explain. I think for years, we understood what the tragedy of the commons was, the basic concept that everyone is tending for themselves. There is individualistic thinking and acting, and no one is really thinking about or protecting or regenerating the commons. That was the tragedy of the commons. And sadly, we acted accordingly, and now we see the consequences. So we have to radically change our mindset away from being imprinted by the tragedy of the commons to a mindset that I would call the necessity of the commons. Because we are now slowly but surely, not fast enough perhaps, understanding that we need the commons in order to prosper. That's why I call it the necessity of the commons. We need the commons. We need our environment to prosper. We need fertile soil. We need biodiversity to be on the up and up and not on the down and down. We need a stable climate. We need oceans that are thriving. In order for us to survive, let alone to prosper and thrive, we actually need a thriving and prosperous natural environment. Lewis, what what are your thoughts? Well, let me start with the first point, which is if we accept and acknowledge that the climate challenge is an existential threat to humanity and that what needs to be done and the pace at which it needs to be done is as serious as science puts to us, then it really is a question of all hands on deck. As the UN 
sustainable development goals themselves acknowledge that there is a need for everyone to move uh, and for there to be multi-stakeholder partnerships. No individual government can achieve what needs to be done. No individual company can achieve what needs to be done. So I think collaboration is absolutely at the heart of the climate challenge. If the next question is, why do competitors need to do that? Well, they're part of the solution. And they need to get together, I think, for two primary reasons. One, because there will be challenges that we face, the scale of which is so large that it can only be achieved through collaboration. And uh, entire industry sectors may need to be transformed. And that is not going to be easy. It may not even be possible without collaboration at the competitor level. So there's certainly a sense that in certain sectors, the only way to achieve the environmental goal or to achieve it as comprehensively and as quickly as possible will be through collaboration of competing parties. There's also a question, even where that is not the case, of what we term first mover disadvantage, which is that in certain sectors, you might have a company that individually, unilaterally decides to go out on a limb and seek to be more sustainable in its products, in its processes. That will invariably increase its costs. And it may find that having moved itself, the rest of the market does not move. And that has two consequences. One, it's, it's bad news for the company that has gone out on a limb trying to do the right thing. But more importantly, we're not achieving the environmental ends. Because if the market does not shift, then we're, we're not seeing environmental benefits accrue. So when it comes to industry collaboration, what does this actually mean and look like in reality? Luke? The simple answer is, is for me is that when it comes to sustainability and particularly when you look at this financial system and our role and sort of the backbone position we, we take in the economy, we're looking at systemic change that needs to happen. You know, how we do things and how we've done things for a long time needs to change at such a fundamental level that no one individual organization or group is going to be able to do that by themselves. So we are bound together if we are going to make this change and the stakes couldn't be higher in a sense. So I think that's clear to most people and it's amazing when you sit down in these fora how the sense of urgency is very widely shared amongst people the sense of knowledge or the capability about how we can work together is something we're still getting used to. Do you have any examples? Yeah, particularly in the space of sustainability. We work with the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which is looking at how to define methodologies that will help banks align their portfolios with the Paris Agreement. We've set up a collaboration with a number of global banks, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and the UN Environment Program around specifically looking at what to do with large agricultural portfolios and what type of methodologies can you use to help define your climate impact for these portfolios. So that's called the Banking for Impacts in Climate and Agriculture. And then we have smaller forms of collaboration where we will work together with partners like the World Wildlife Fund or United Nations to work on specific things. So a good example is the Agri-3 Fund, which we work together with, again, with the WBCSD, but also with uh, the UN Environment Program and the Dutch Development Bank to try and 
provide farmers with transition financing to switch to climate smart agricultural practices. And that sort of blended finance approach is becoming more and more relevant and important, I think, particularly as we try and incorporate climate activities and climate goals into our basic financial lending as well. Christiana, do you have any specific examples? I can pick a few examples from the Climate Pledge that is by now a group of more than 375 signatory companies that cover more than 30 countries with about $65 trillion in revenue. And these companies have come together under the umbrella of the Climate Pledge because they have decided that net zero emissions by 2050, which is that goal that is established in the Paris Agreement, is actually too late. And they're right. The faster that we get to net zero, the better it is for everyone. So they have come together to commit to net zero by 2040, 10 years before the Paris Agreement deadline. And what they are doing, not that anyone knows how this is going to be done, but they are digging into their conviction that together they can do this. And they're forming little groups, little hubs, little clubs, if you will, of companies that together are having a much larger impact in the acceleration of the decarbonization of the economy um, than they would have had alone. So, for example, um, batteries are key to zero emission vehicles, and we know that they are expensive and that the price has to come down. So they have created a buying alliance among several of them to accelerate the cost curve and the lead times for batteries for zero emission vehicles. In October 2022, the House of Lords Environment and Climate Change Committee said the UK will miss its net zero target. One major issue highlighted was behavioural change. When we look at challenges to collaboration, how important is attitude? Christiana? I think, honestly, the major challenge is the mindset to still stay in the tragedy of the commons and thinking and to still think that we can individually go at this and expect good results is to not have understood that our context has radically changed. And it is only actually by changing that mindset that we then open up to proactively look for others in the space, either in our regional space, if we're talking about a district or a city, or in our sectoral space, if we're talking about a sectoral transformation, or in our demand space, if we all are demanding the same products and services. It is only by looking for those who we can collaborate with in order to accelerate that. But we don't get to that intentional search for collaborating partners unless we change our mindset. So that's where it all starts. It starts with our mindset. It is as simple and as profound as that. And Luis, what are the other challenges for businesses and industries? 
Well, uh, clearly from my perspective, I think one of the biggest challenges they face is the application of competition law, which is deeply ingrained in a lot of businesses. And that means that for most businesses, for most industry sectors, collaboration is anathema to what they do. They are used to being told, again, rightly so, that they need to operate on an individual basis. Competition law has been around for a long time and understandably regulates a number of features, the most important of which is collaborations or interactions between competitors. We try and distinguish between collusive activity, which is very bad and wrong, i.e. when competitors get together in a room to fix prices or limit production. Uh, But we also think of positive, uh, beneficial and acceptable, legitimate collaborations between competitors. I think the biggest issue that we face on sustainability is that we haven't quite unblurred the lines between what is completely heinous and completely legitimate. And there will undoubtedly be bits in the middle that are grey that require quite a bit of thinking. Because getting it wrong means that you will get heavily fined And getting it right means that you can achieve the benefits that we are seeking to achieve on sustainability grounds. The other big problem with competition law is that historically, the orthodoxy has been all about protecting consumers. We operate to a consumer welfare standard. And where sustainability has clashed with competition law is trying to understand how we can articulate the benefits to society as a whole, to the planet as a whole, when we are so focused on individual consumers. And often the analysis says, it's great, we might achieve cleaner air, uh, or we might achieve less deforestation in Brazil, but why is a consumer in the UK or in Europe paying for that? And that is a very difficult, intractable problem that we are still all grappling with. And I'm keen and sure that we will move in a better direction. But we need competition regulators to engage in a bit of a paradigm shift in that regard. Christiana? From my point of view, current competition laws are bottom line, focusing on not allowing for companies to fix prices, not allowing carving out of markets, and certainly not allowing abuse of a dominant market position. All of that is understandable. And none of that is being done by companies that are trying to collaborate in the climate change space on decarbonizing the economy. And from my perspective, it's not only about changing competition laws so that they don't hinder collaboration. I would go a step farther. What are the laws, regulations, and incentives that we can put in place in order to foster collaboration, in order to really incentivize radical collaboration as quickly and as broadly as possible? Because This is not about minimizing the damage and the danger. This is about maximizing the opportunity. So for me, those laws need to be changed completely around and be looking at the necessity and the urgency of collaboration. 
Luke, from your experience, how much could current competition laws hinder collaboration? And what do you think needs to change to allow more collaboration in the finance sector? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's in a sense, difficult to answer because we're at the very beginning of a lot of this work on climate. And I think there, when we look at these laws, competition, regulations that have been put in place for very good reasons, I think it's it's very important that we analyze those and revisit them to make sure that we're not throwing up unnecessary barriers, which may make sense in, in past situations and even some current situations, but are not in any way, shape or form suited to the enormity of the task and the speed at which we need to execute it when it comes to climate change and sustainability in a dry, in more broader sense. So, Lewis, quickly, what's the solution here? Well, look, I, I think there are two things. And one is that businesses need to free themselves up. I, I can fully understand as an antitrust lawyer with 30 years experience advising clients about the risks of talking to competitors, I can understand a certain reluctance. But we don't have time to address sustainability issues. And I think both advisors and businesses need to change their mindset and approach sustainability initiatives in as positive and can-do attitude as possible. So that's that's on, on this side of the table. On the other side of the table, then yes, uh, I think we are also asking competition agencies to walk with us on that path, to engage with us, and to be bold in their assessments, to give us as much comfort and safety zones and guidance on how they're going to assess these initiatives as possible and to do it in an aligned way as possible so that we are not dealing with a very difficult patchwork uh, across different jurisdictions. I think it can be done. I'm hoping that in many ways the European agencies are leading the way and that others will follow suit. Luke, what are your final thoughts, your mini magnum opus, to inspire more collaboration? I'm optimistic in this front. I mean, I'm amazed just how much change has taken place in the last two years and, 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 and to see how quickly and how urgently this, is, this issue, sustainability and climate in particular, has climbed to the top of board agendas. It's almost impossible to get together in any shape, way or form and as an industry and not talk about climate or sustainability at the moment. So I, I'm very optimistic about that. In my opinion, the way to think about it is like a football game, except we're defining the rules together of how we're going to play the game. And we'll continue to evolve the game as we move along. In this case, that's where collaboration is really, really a, a, a huge imperative. Luis, your thoughts? Well, look, in my 30 years of practice, I don't think I've come across an issue that is more important than climate change. Uh, it is an existential threat to humanity, to the planet, to our very existence. And it pains me as a competition lawyer uh, that in some small part, we are finding that the law is unhelpful in terms of addressing what to me is the most important. I know the world is very volatile. There's a lot of horrible things happening. But but actually, this is the most important issue. So 
as a competition lawyer, as an advisor to business, as someone who engages with the authorities, I'm passionate and keen that we are as bold as possible, that we look at antitrust law um, methodically, root and branch, and, and work out how can we help facilitate this. We should not have a piece of law that is in any way disadvantaging what, in my view, is the most important goal for the world today, which is to address climate change. And Christiana? The future is still undetermined. If you will, the future is basically like those TV games where the person who was playing the game, in this case, it's a very serious game, has to choose between door one and door two. And that's where we are right now. We are choosing between door one and door two. If we continue to compete with each other, if we continue business as usual, if we continue to pollute oceans, air, and land the way that we are right now, we will, knowingly or unknowingly, have chosen door number one. By the end of this decade, we will have chosen a door that leads us to a world of constant increasing destruction and untold human misery. And that is no exaggeration. Once we go through that door, it's very difficult to turn back. Conversely, if today we intentionally choose radical collaboration, choose the many different ways that we have to decarbonize our economy and invest in a timely fashion into that, then we're choosing door number two by the end of this decade. And door number two opens our future to a world that is safer, healthier, more just, more prosperous, and certainly much safer than the one that we have now. So it's door number two doesn't just avoid the disasters of climate change. It actually takes us into a much better world. But we have to intentionally choose door number two and do it in time. And that means by the end of this decade, be at one half our global emissions today. What's good for business and the planet doesn't need to be in conflict. Competitive collaboration may sound like an oxymoron of the modern business world, but it's an increasingly crucial strategy for savvy business leaders with ambitious net zero targets. Why? The sustainability challenges we face today are too big for any individual or company to solve. By pooling resources, knowledge, people, power and strategies, businesses can lead the way in moving the needle towards a carbon neutral future. In the words of industrialist Henry Ford, if everyone is moving together, success takes care of itself. Leaving success to take care of itself might be a gamble, but it's certainly time for everyone to work together and not leave anything to chance. Because we have just one chance and just one planet. Thank you.